Man, it's just so good to have you guys with us. Let's get back into this sermon series that we've started. Let me tell you this, too, as we get into it. This isn't a last-minute decision that was made. This decision to get into the book of Psalms was made months and months and months ago, long before I ever heard of COVID-19. And I believe the Holy Spirit uh, prompted my, uh, in my heart and mind to do this series for such a time as this. And I hope it's encouraged you uh, as much as it has encouraged me uh, in, in, this, in this time of... Uh, uh, well, it's just a crazy time. I don't even know what else to call it. As a man, Jesus grew up feeding his soul with the Psalms. He, Jesus, as a man, growing up, his soul was nourished by the Psalms. He, he sang the Psalms in his worship times. He prayed the Psalms in the time he spent with his heavenly Father. He meditated on the Psalms. He memorized the Psalms. The Psalms informed his mind. His, the, Psalms, the Psalms shaped his spirituality. The Psalms nourished his soul. And I don't know about you. I really don't know about you. All I can speak from is my own experience. But I find myself again and again and again turning to the Psalms for help, for strength, for peace, and for hope, especially in times like we're in right now. The Psalms feed my soul too. Don't they feed yours? Don't they feed yours too? Today's Psalm isn't one of those we typically go to when we need help, when we need encouragement, when we need hope. But it's a psalm I think we ought to turn to. Other than the 22nd Psalm, Psalm 69 is the most frequently quoted psalm in the New Testament. Jesus quotes it three or four times, and then Paul, later on in his writings, references Psalm 69 as well. Now both Psalms, Psalm, 60, Psalm 22 and Psalm 69, foreshadow the suffering of Christ Jesus on the cross. And while Psalm 22 seems to focus on the physical punishment that Jesus endured, Psalm 29 instead emphasizes the emotional and spiritual suffering that Jesus experienced for our sakes. Psalm 69 is the heartfelt cry of a man who is suffering in every conceivable way. The inscription tells us that David is the author, but we're not told when or why David uh, pins this prayer to the Lord. And I think that's for good reason. I think the Lord left that vague because, because as we read Psalm 69, we're going to find ourselves identifying with the man's pain. We're going to find out that we felt just like this man has felt, that we've experienced just what this man has experienced. You know, the whens and the whys of suffering may vary. The times and the reasons for suffering may vary. But the effect on us, the effect on us physically, emotionally, and spiritually are the same, regardless of the kind of suffering we're going through. And maybe, maybe you've tasted a little bit of suffering like we're going to talk about in your own life. Maybe you're facing that kind of suffering now. And the good news that we draw from this psalm and the encouragement that we gain and the hope that we're given, the good news is this, that we're going to see, no matter what we're going through, no matter what, no matter what kind of suffering we may be, may be enduring, we're not alone. We're not alone in our pain. 
We're not alone in our suffering. Isaiah 53.3 says, Jesus is a man of suffering, familiar with pain. So no matter what form our suffering may take right now, we can rest assured that Jesus knows exactly how we feel. So I want us to turn to Psalm 69, and I want us to read it. I, I'm going at it in a little bit different way this morning. We're going to break the psalm down in sections, and, and I'm going to throw in a little commentary for each section. Hopefully it'll simplify the message that I think the Lord wants me to share with you this morning. In the first section, we see a man that's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed in his suffering. Let's read it together. Psalm uh, 69, verses 1 through 4. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. I am forced to restore what I did not steal. The psalm here begins with the feelings, the emotions of suffering. It's like being in a storm on the open seas. It's a feeling of drowning. It feels like you're sinking, like you're being crushed beneath a flood of waves. Feelings of weariness and helplessness. Feelings of injustice and betrayal. Now, we've all been there. We've all been there. You may be there today. Jesus certainly knew what suffering like this feels like. Jesus, as a matter of fact, refers to verse 4 while he's teaching his disciples the night before he went to the cross. In John 15, 24, and 25, he says this to his disciples as he faced the suffering ahead of him. He said, if I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. The point here is this. Jesus has been where we've been and where we now may be. He's been in life's worst storms. He's been the victim of suffering and injury. He's experienced the sinking feeling that comes along with injustice and betrayal. He knows how it feels to drown in false accusations surrounded by people who refuse to come to His help. Jesus knows what it feels like to be caught up in a storm. A storm that threatens to overwhelm Him. And then we see in verses 5-12, through 12, scorn and shame. You know my folly, O God. My guilt is not hidden from you. May those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me, O Lord, the Lord Almighty. May those who seek you not be put to shame because of me, O God of Israel. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I'm a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's son. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who, spit, those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of the drunkards. Now here again we see strong references to the suffering that Jesus experienced while he was here living among us. In verse 8 he says, I'm a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my own mother's sons. 
John 7, 5 references Psalm 69 and says about Jesus, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now, I don't know what could be, what could be worse than to have your own family question you, have your own family reject you and the claims that you were making about yourself. But there's another important truth that I want us to pick up from these verses. That suffering causes self-examination. Suffering causes us to look in the mirror to see who we are. In verse 5, David admits he has been foolish and has a measure of guilt. But we know, of course, that wasn't true of Jesus. Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. But in the midst of his suffering on the cross, I want you to listen to this now. In the midst of his suffering on the cross, even Jesus asked why. Even Jesus asked why. In Mark 15, 34, we're told that Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, suffering begs the question, why? What is it about me that has brought this on? Suffering begs the question, why? It causes us to self-examine. What brings me to this place? And that's not a bad thing. That's just the reality of what suffering does for us. And then we see in the next session, section, we see the suffering man praying for God's favor in verses 13 through 21. But I pray to you, O Lord, in the time of your favor, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me from the deep waters. Do not let the floodwaters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Come near and rescue me. Redeem me because of my foes. You know how I am scorned, disgraced, and shamed. All my enemies are before me. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. You see here, the suffering man is crying out for God to show up and show out and save him. He looks around for someone, anyone to sympathize with him. Anyone, someone to comfort him in his distress. But no one is there for him. When we're suffering, it often seems as if God becomes the only source of hope we have when we find ourselves in the middle of a storm. And when we find that God is all we have, what we find also to be true is this, that God is all we need. And again, I want you to see here, we see a foreshadowing of Jesus' suffering for us in these verses. The, gospel, the Gospels tell us that Jesus suffered taunts and insults all throughout His ordeal on the cross. No one came to His rescue. No one came to His defense. No one was there to comfort Him in His anguish and distress. In verse 21 it says, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And I imagine that everyone out there recognizes this reference because we read in Matthew 27, it tells us that when Jesus was on the cross, they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Listen, the gall and the vinegar there symbolize the brutal, 
inhumane treatment that Jesus received from people even while dying to set those same people free from the sin that made them do to him what they did. While he was dying, they were calling out their insults. Even while he was dying to save them from God's judgment, they were accusing him of things he'd never done. And then we see in the next section a plea for God's judgment. This is why this psalm has often been called an imprecatory psalm. That's a big word that means I'm angry and I want to get revenge. Plea for God's judgment in verses 22 through 28. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. For they persecute those who wound. They persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be, listen to this now. This is what, this is what David wants to happen to his enemies. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. Now, it's at this point, it seems to me, that David and Jesus seem to part company. David's response to his suffering is to ask for the wrath of God to be unleashed on his enemies. Verse 28 says again, May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. But I want to remind you what Luke 23 tells us. While Jesus was hanging on the cross, suffering the insults and the taunts of his accusers, Jesus looked over the crowd that surrounded him, those that had pierced his hands and feet with nails, those who were cursing him, those who were calling out their insults. He looked over that crowd and he said to them, he said to the Father about them, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You see, the response of Jesus to his unjust treatment was a plea for God to forgive, not condemn. Now that word forgive, it means to cancel a debt. It means to wipe the slate clean. Forgiveness isn't offered because a person deserves it or because a person has earned it. Forgiveness is a decision to let go of an offense. Forgiveness is a decision to let go of an offense. And this is the heart of God. While men like David, men like you and me, seek retribution and vengeance against their enemies, God longs for us to be reconciled to him. So he offers us forgiveness and he offers us mercy in the place of judgment and condemnation. Colossians 1 says this about us. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy 
and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Men may want their vengeance, and men may want retribution. But what God desires for you and me is to be reconciled to him. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Have you received the forgiveness that God offers you in Christ Jesus? We're told it's available to everyone. We're told that anyone and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who repents of their sin, everyone who believes in Jesus as Savior and Lord is reconciled to God. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you can be reconciled to God through the death of Christ Jesus. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. In the final section of this great poem, we see praise. We see praise. We see the suffering man take his eyes off the wind and the waves. He takes his eyes off of those who would insult and persecute. He takes his eyes off the causes and the sources of his suffering. And he lifts his eyes to behold the face of God. I am in pain and distress. May your salvation, O God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify Him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hoofs. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise His captive people. Let heaven and earth praise Him, the seas and all that move in them. For God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of, Jeru of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of His servants will inherit it and those who love His name will dwell there. Again and again and again throughout the book of Psalms we see this very same thing happened. We see a man caught up in suffering and pain in the emotional travails of life, but at the end he remembers who God is and he, he, he places his focus on the face of God and gets it off the suffering and the causes of the suffering around him. Look, this psalm ends with the suffering man giving praise to God and thanking God for his salvation. Has he experienced it all yet? No, but he knows salvation is coming. Listen, this is the secret in overcoming suffering. This is the key to overcoming suffering. Praise. Praise God through the storm. Praise God through the storm. Keep your minds and hearts fixed on Jesus in the midst of the storm. Hebrews 12 puts it this way. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. Never lose sight of where you're headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. The cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there, in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, 
that long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your soul. Oh man, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Praise God through the storm. Praise God in the midst of the suffering. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the key. That's the key. And that's the hope this psalm brings to us. Let suffering remind you that you're not home yet. Let suffering remind you that you're not home yet. Like right now you may feel like a tiny boat being tossed around in a hurricane on the open seas. But with God's help and your eyes fixed on Jesus, you simply keep making your way toward heaven and the peace and the security and the safety that awaits us there. God will continue to bless us. God will continue to love us. God will continue to save us in our journey home as we continue to praise his name, as we continue to focus our attention and our affection on him. Listen, the point I really want to leave with us today at Christian Life Fellowship in Calera, Alabama is this. Jesus knows all about suffering. He knows all about it. Jesus knows how suffering feels. Jesus fully understands the effects of suffering upon the human soul. So we can come to Jesus fully expecting Him to understand us and fully expecting Him to give us what we need to make it through whatever it is we face. We can trust Jesus through the storm. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, Again, from the Message Bible. Now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who's out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness. He's been through testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Let's take the mercy. Let's, let's accept the help. Oh, listen, let me leave you with one more thought before I pray and get us into communion. Listen, the storm you're in right now may seem to be bigger than you, but I want to remind you of this. Your Jesus is bigger than your storm. Your Jesus is bigger than your storm. You praise him through the storm, and he'll bring you through. Father, we love you. And we thank you so much for your comforting presence that, with, that is with us here in this boat that's being tossed around by the wind and the waves. Father, I realize, I recognize that there are some people who are part of this broadcast, part of this experience, who are facing, oh Lord, they're facing such torment today, such hardship, such adversity. And they feel like they're alone. They feel like they have been overlooked and neglected. Or, or maybe they feel like they're being falsely and unjustly accused of something that they had no part of. Lord, whatever it is we're feeling, whatever it is we're experiencing, you've been there. And even more, you're still here with us. You're in the boat with us. And you're going to bring us safely to shore. Lord, I pray today that your comforting presence would be so real to each one of us, wherever we are, no matter what we're going through. Help us today. Help us today as an act of faith and as an act of worship to focus our attention and our affection on you. You are the one we need. 
You are the hope we're looking for. You're, you are the peace our heart lacks. Help us today to focus on you. And Jesus, as we do, may we feel your presence envelop us, wrapping your arms around us, holding us tight, and letting us know we're going to be all right. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your word and the comfort and the strength it gives us. In Jesus' name, amen.